0: Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Strongly Connected Components, Episode 1.
1: In this, our
0: inaugural (laughs) episode, I talk with graph theorist extraordinaire Gary Chartrand from Western Michigan University. We converse about everything from the types of questions to ask, why math should be viewed as creative, the difference between writing papers and books, and, oddly enough, comic books and musicals. Here we go. Hello, this is Strongly Connected Components. I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and with me today, we have a veritable giant in graph theory, Professor Gary Chartrand. Professor Chartrand, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: Well, how about we just uh, get straight down to it? You've been working in uh, graph theory for uh, quite a long time, actually, uh, well before graph theory started to get some of the cachet that it has now. What started you in the field itself?
1: Well, it actually was just a, a matter of coincidence, I guess I would say. Um, when I was a graduate student at Michigan State University, uh, I had probably spent a couple of years on my doctoral program and I hadn't uh, selected a major subject to specialize in. In fact, the uh, the head of the graduate committee even made uh, me come to see him to ask me when I was going to make such a decision. And uh, I told him that even though I liked all the courses I had had, there was nothing that I thought that I could really contribute to from what I had seen. But uh, the chair of the mathematics department at that time, his name was J.L. Sutherland Frame, uh, required that every graduate assistant attend all the colloquium talks. And, uh, it just so happened that one of the colloquium talks was by one of the professors at Michigan state, namely professor Edward Nordhaus. And he spoke on graph theory. I had never heard of that subject before. So I attended the talk like I was supposed to, and I really enjoyed it. And, uh, after, um, his talk the next day, I went to see him asking if I could take a reading course with him in graph theory. And, uh, he told me that uh, he really didn't know that much about graph theory, and the only book he was familiar with was written in German. And suggested instead of taking a reading course in graph theory, we take one in lattice theory instead, which I didn't know anything about either. But uh, I said, let me think about this a bit, and then I'll get back to you. It turns out that it was just a couple weeks later, I got something in the mail from AMS, the American Math Society. Uh, advertising a new book that was being published in graph theory in English by Austin Aura, and I ordered it. And when I got it, um, I showed it to him, and actually his name was in there, and uh, he seemed quite enthusiastic about it. And suggested that we both do some reading the next semester in graph theory, and that's what got me started.
0: Oh, just a little bit of serendipity there is always helpful. Yes. Oh, well, uh, so what was the first? Uh, area in graph theory that you started doing some research in.
1: Okay. Uh, Well, actually, I started reading the book by Aura, and uh, I was supposed to see if there's anything in the book that interested me, and maybe that I could work on that for my dissertation. And uh, what happened was that while I was reading it, I ran across a subject on line graphs. It was called interchange graphs by Aura. And uh, this is something that sounded uh, very interesting to me. So I, I asked Professor Nordhaus if that was the subject that I could work in, and he said yes. And that's what happened. So I did my dissertation on line graph.
0: Yeah, and uh, since since when you started working in graph theory, graph theory has uh, evolved quite a bit.
1: Um, yeah, it certainly, it certainly has. Yes.
0: Uh, what were some of the areas that started uh, getting research that you started doing research in that you just didn't really expect to become anything, but ended up actually having some real uses
1: well uh, one of the subjects that i i spent uh, a certain period of my life working on that i didn't think would amount to that much because i just didn't see it at that time with distance and graphs and uh, uh in fact one of the doctoral students i had at that time i had working on this one paper on distance and graphs. he said he asked whether he could uh, Write a dissertation on that subject, and I said, I don't know if there's enough to work on on distance and graph, but we could give it a try. And it turns out that subject has really uh, blossomed over the years. In fact, uh, several years ago, a book by uh, Fred Buckley and Frank Harari was written on distance and graph, so I was really off on that guess. (laughs) Um, Now, one thing
0: uh, you've mentioned. quite a few books uh, already from various other people, but you also have published a few books in and of yourself. And a lot of the people who are going to be listening to this, I imagine, have probably either read mathematical papers or have published some themselves. What do you feel is the major difference between writing a book on mathematics and writing a paper?
1: Well, first of all, the audience is quite different. Uh, This is, uh, I I guess, the main thing. i i think in a research paper you have to expect that it will be relatively few people who will be interested in in that paper and i don't even know how much of the paper will be read in any detail by by many but uh hopefully when you're writing a textbook it will be read by many and so you you have to keep the audience in mind it should be clear it should be interesting and uh uh, it should be at least uh, lively from time to time, I guess I would say. Uh, I don't consider all of that to be quite as crucial for for research papers, although certainly it certainly should be well-written. Although, of course, in a research paper, you also want to contribute some, some new mathematics to it.
0: Yeah, quite a few research papers do have a little bit of a drier feeling than textbooks at times.
1: Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's certainly true. Actually, I I probably been interested in writing more than I have been interested in mathematics throughout my whole life.
0: Oh, really? And like, what way? Have you wanted to write fiction, or have you just really enjoyed well? The art
1: of I don't know. It's it's difficult to say. When I was a child, I mean, really young, um, even before I started going to kindergarten, um, I I became interested in comic books and. Uh, My parents uh, used to buy me lots of comic books, and I kind of learned to read through comic books. And uh, I I remember from time to time, I had a conversation with my mother uh, about uh, I would read a comic book, and I told her, I don't like the way the story came out. And she would say, well, why don't you write your own story? And and actually, there were a couple of times I actually tried that. But anyways, I, I kind of enjoyed writing. And uh, when I eventually became interested in mathematics, the two seemed to kind of, I don't know, fit together, I guess I would say. Yeah, uh, well,
0: uh, we can diverge from math a little bit right now. I'm actually very interested, as I just started uh, reading comic books myself. Uh, Is that right? What comics uh, did you read uh, when you were a child?
1: Oh, I'll tell you one. There's one I have a whole collection of, and in fact, I gave them to my son, so I guess I still have the collection. Years and years ago, there was a a type of comic book that was called Classic Comics. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Um, and eventually, it changed the name to Classics Illustrated. And I would just love it when a new issue would come out because these were you know well known stories like uh, the Three Musketeers or Ivanhoe or the Count of Monte Cristo or the Last of the Mohicans. And at the end of the book, there was always a one page little biography of the author and I would read those over and over again.
0: Yeah, I have so actually I
1: was, seen those before. I can't remember
0: which one so I you, saw. You've heard of those. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's yeah, they would they I think it was did they do one on uh the Odyssey once? I think they did, yes. Yeah, I believe I've seen that one. It was very well done.
1: And so I I actually became familiar with, you know, um <laughs> well-known stories over the years as well. Uh, Another thing that's not exactly writing, but that eventually I became interested in, but certainly through no ability of my own, um, I I learned about shows, Broadway musicals, and their stories there and composers, and I became very interested in uh, in the composers and what their lives were like and how did they create these things. I, I don't know, somehow all of this seemed to kind of fit together somehow for me.
0: Oh, that's uh, that's very interesting. Have you ever uh, looked at any of the mathematics behind the musics
1: at all? Uh, no, I, I mean, <laughs> maybe there probably is in some cases uh, mathematics behind the music, but I, I'm, I'm not really familiar with that, although I do recall, I don't know if you've heard the name Stephen Sondheim once, but being interviewed, and uh, he was once asked, if you were not a composer, what would you have been? And he said, a mathematician. I still remember that.
0: So it's a thinner line than I thought. <laughs> yes. Okay, uh, well, back, back on to math. I guess that's what we're supposed to be talking about here. I, I, was, I was looking through uh, just the listing of papers that you have published on your website, your publications. And okay. One thing that I noticed is that you very rarely ever publish without a uh, co-author. And do that's you' correct? Do you really feel that uh, mathematics is collaborative? because we always hear in society this idea of the of the singular scientist who sits in his you know basement lair or whatever, uh, figuring out the great secrets of the world. But do you feel that's actually how it happens or is is math and science very much a collaborative effort?
1: I don't think it has to be collaborative at all, but one thing for me, at least, uh, I can't speak for anyone else, is that in my early early part of my, I guess I would say, mathematical career, just shortly after I had finished working on my dissertation, I did some papers by myself, but basically those came from my dissertation. But I think, for me, mathematics should be fun. And it's only fun when you can kind of share it with someone. And so uh, when I get an idea for a problem, I always uh, share it with someone. And I I love working with, with people. And uh, so that's really enjoyable to me. And so it's it's something I do because I, I really enjoy it.
0: Well, that's, I mean, that's a perfect answer. I, I also believe that math should be fun. I don't necessarily think that everyone else in the world happens to
1: agree with us. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And and that's probably the case, that that's what happens.
0: I, Well, given that a lot of people don't agree with this, and as a professor, I'm sure that you teach a lot. What what do you bring to your teaching, and try to bring the joy, the fun of mathematics to other people?
1: Well, first of all, I um, this is an interesting one to try to answer here. But uh, uh, first of all, I enjoy working with students. Uh, of course, I'm retired now, but when I was uh, teaching for 40 years, I, I I truly enjoy working with students, and I want them I want them to appreciate the material and want them to understand the material. And in courses that are at least moderately advanced, I really like them to know the historical aspect of the subject, where these things came from. Um, so that's always important to me, that this uh, information be, be passed along to them. Um, one thing, and I, I don't think that just goes with mathematics, but goes with all sorts of things, I really enjoy the creative part, and just because they're an undergraduate or even a beginning graduate student doesn't mean that they can't ask questions. And uh, I really enjoy it uh, when students are inquisitive and ask me questions, especially questions I don't know the answer to or haven't heard from be- uh, heard of before.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, the creative side of math. I, a lot of times that area of mathematics is, is looked over because we mathematics is viewed as you know the ultimate logic. Now what? Things have you done where you've really had to use creativity in order to help out with your solutions?
1: Well, uh, um, boy, to help out with the solution. Um, well, not
0: not necessarily solutions so much as just
1: help with
0: with the problem, I and mean, not necessarily what got you to the solution, but when you've really had to use creativity.
1: Well, I I think I'd like to think that practically everything I have worked on. Uh, as far as research is concerned, there's an element of creativity there. Um, and the point is what sort of questions should we be asking? So research to me consists of a, a collection of things. One is, first of all, you have to have a problem to work on. All right. And where does this problem come from? Well, there's where the creativity is. And, uh, and so this is part of it. By the way, this came about kind of early for me. I was just talking a while back about that I was reading this book by Aura, uh for this reading course and uh, working on the subject of line graph. And basically, I was asked by my advisor to select the subject. All right? and, and actually, not only did I select the subject, but basically the questions that I pursued uh, were created by me. I mean, so these were my ideas. But this is actually a little nerve-wracking, at least as a graduate student, because I wasn't sure that I was selecting problems that were interesting, that problems that were new. Uh, And so this was was at least not an easy experience for me. But let me just, if I can, back up even one step. Uh, About halfway through my doctoral program, or maybe a year into it, uh, I realized that at least throughout the, all my graduate work, I was studying. I was studying very hard, but I was studying to get good grades. And I, I felt that I didn't learn the material as well as I should be. And so I decided to kind of overhaul my studying technique. And so what I was started doing is when I was looking at exercises I was trying to solve, I tried to rearrange the questions, see what other questions one could ask and see if I could answer them. And somehow that became kind of a steady procedure for me. And so I was always asking questions from a certain point on. And so when I got into graph theory, I was just so used to asking questions. Uh, of course, it's always a matter of opinion whether the questions are interesting or not. But uh, that's what I had experience doing and for at least a couple of years before I got into my dissertation.
0: Uh, do you feel that since you got used to asking your own questions that it gave you a little bit more of a leg up in the study of mathematics over, say, the typical graduate student who tends to work on questions that their advisor gives to them.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also consider this part of the real fun part of mathematics, is asking questions. I mean, a typical student uh, might uh, might bring up when you're having a discussion with a faculty member, you know, where does, where does the next research problem come from? And uh, this is what one has to get used to. And, uh, you know, the more research you do, the easier that sort of thing becomes. But uh, this is something you can kind of get into at an early stage.
0: Uh, if, if we have any, you know, beginning graduate students or anything listening to this right now and are trying to think up their own problems, do you have any uh, bits of advice uh, that you can give to them as far as how to start thinking in this way?
1: Well, this is, a, this is a tricky one. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of a difficult question to answer, but uh, I would say, first of all, if you're looking at some question or exercise, see if it's possible to vary it a little bit. Usually you're given, you're given some conditions. Uh, do you have to be given exactly this, these conditions? Can you change the conditions a little bit? And uh, what happens when you do? Do you get the same result? Probably not. What result can you get? and uh, keep changing things and see see what occurs. Of course, a lot of times you can, it's e- sometimes a lot easier to ask a question than to answer it, but typically you can answer some of them at least.
0: Yes, I I have to admit that I haven't done too much of that on my own. I tend to answer well, the questions and, that are given and asked. And but... that's
1: understandable, and that's understandable. In fact, I was doing some uh, some work not that long ago with your advisor, Professor Salahee, and uh, a question that basically came up is that you're given a situation, and the question is what sort of problem is created from this. And I'll just mention this briefly. You were given a checkerboard and a collection of coins, okay? Now, what question occurs to you with that information? I mean, this is the sort of thing, in fact, uh, you that you can bring up in a variety of ways, and sometimes students will come up with a, some interesting questions that can be asked. Oh, I can definitely see how that would
0: happen. Speaking of, of questions, uh, I was wondering if you could give everybody who's listening to this a little bit taste of the questions that you're currently asking as far as graph theory you goes, your current research that you're doing.
1: Uh, wow. Well, uh, actually, I probably haven't even uh, done too much the last month on research because I've been working on a book. But, um, but actually, let me, uh, let me bring up the one that I just discussed with you a moment ago, because I think it, at least uh, depending on the background, it's something that uh, I think a student can understand and uh, maybe think it's a little fun. And uh, let me go back to the checkerboard and coins problem. And uh, the question is, uh, well, what's a problem that might be of some interest and see if you can solve it? All right. Uh, so here's the qu- question that came up. Now, maybe there's lots of questions, but here's one that, uh, that occurred to us. Uh, so suppose you're allowed to put um, a coin on a square of a checkerboard, but no more than one coin. So on each square, you either put no coins or one coin. All right. Now, if you look at a square there are adjacent squares. That means uh, uh, neighboring squares either in the same row or same column. And uh, let's suppose the squares are colored black and red. All right, so if you have a black square, uh, then there's a certain number of neighboring red squares, either two, three, or four. And the question is, count the number of coins on the neighboring squares. That number is either even or odd. All right, and for the other color... uh, Do the same thing. Count the number of coins on the neighboring squares and see what you have. Now, the question is, is it possible to place coins on a checkerboard in such a way that, say, every black square has an odd number of coins in the neighboring squares and every red square uh, has an even number? So odd for one, even for the other. Now you might say, what does this have have to do with graph theory? Well, it turns out you can model this by a graph, and this can be converted into a a graph theory question, which can in turn be generalized into a a coloring problem for graph in graph theory. It's... Does that make sense? Do you think? Oh yeah, no, it does. Yeah. Every
0: everything's connected in the end.
1: Of course, it's always fun if you can generalize something too.
0: Yeah, and without generalization, math becomes
1: a bit harder. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is always the goal. See what you can come up with. But again, it's always a matter of opinion of what you're working on, whether it's interesting or not, or, and and questions of that nature.
0: As uh, you mentioned that you've been uh, working on a book. Uh, what is uh, this book about?
1: Well, the current book I'm working on actually is the fifth edition of a. Um, of a book on graph theory that's been around now for a, a couple decades or so, um, maybe more than that, I guess. And uh, so it's in the process of being revised. But I've, I've, I've kind of worked on a variety of books over the years. And, uh, again, I guess this is part of the, the writing part of me that, uh, that I'm dealing with here, which I always enjoy doing.
0: Okay. Uh, well, I think that uh, we'll call it an interview here. I want to thank you very much for
1: uh, being on the show. Well, it's very kind of you.
0: And uh, everyone should go pick up one of Professor Chartrand's textbooks. I'm sure that they're available on Amazon.com and all other fine
1: retailers online. (laughs) Thank you very much. Again, very nice talking with you.
0: Well, that is it for this episode of Strongly Connected Components. If you wish to know more about the guest on this episode, please visit the blog at sccmathpodcast.blogspot.com and you can email me at sccmathpodcast at gmail.com with any recommendations or feedback. The music on this podcast is the song Pie by the band Hard and Firm from their album Horses and Grasses. You can find them at hardandfirm.com. Finally, this podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License. Thanks for listening.